Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Well, if that doesn't get your red, white, and blue blood pumping this flag day, I don't know what will. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. It is flag day. We're going to be talking today about our flag and some of our history. We're going to have a pastor, historian, teacher, George DeJong is going to be joining us later on in the show to talk about Shavuot. If you don't know what Shavuot is, stay tuned because you're about to hear. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, you want to be part of the show, you can email us at radio at experienceliberty.com or call us at 702-647-4522. And you can find me on Twitter at The Fertile. We're also on iTunes now. It is official. We are on iTunes. Last night we were up to, uh, I think, 198 in uh, top news and politics podcasts on iTunes, which is pretty cool. Go find us there. Just uh, search for The Frittle Show. And you can really help us out, especially if you are uh, able to access iTunes on a desktop or laptop or tablet. Then you can go on there and rate the show. And, you know, of course you want to give us five stars because anything less would, would be disappointing. So so go and uh, give us a rating, download some episodes, subscribe, and then the podcast will always be available no matter where you are. As long as you have a device with iTunes, it will be there. And you can set it so that it automatically downloads, so you don't even have to think about it. You can listen to the show without even thinking about it if you go on iTunes. And we've been working on that for a while, so excited that that has finally uh, come about. So it is Flag Day. Here's some things you may not know about the Star Spangled Banner from the History Channel. Francis Scott Key. Everybody knows the name Francis Scott Key, right? By the dawn's early light on September 14, 1814, Francis Scott Key peered through a spyglass and spotted an American flag still waving over Baltimore's Fort McHenry after a fierce night of British bombardment. In a patriotic fervor, fervor the man called Frank Key by family and friends penned the words to the Star-Spangled Banner. 200 years later... Here's nine surprising facts about the national anthem. Actually, it's 202 years later. Of the United States and the man who wrote its lyrics, Francis Scott Key intended his verses to be a song. He wasn't trying to write a poem. A lot of people think that Scott Key was writing a poem and that that was later put into music. That's actually not true. Key was a poet, not a songwriter, but he intended the Star-Spangled Banner to be a song. In fact, he had a tune in mind when he wrote it, which was called... Uh, what so proudly we hailed. And he noted that the words should be sung to the melody of To Anacron in Heaven. Key was familiar with the tune and used it in an earlier poem he had written, which, by the way, included a reference to a star-spangled flag. It's kind of cool. But, ironically, the tune that we, that he uh, used, To Anacron in Heaven, was an English song composed in 1775 that served as the theme song of the Upper Crust Anachronic Society of London. So there you go. The U.S. National Anthem is actually based on the melody of a British song. 
Also, Francis Scott Key was not imprisoned on a British warship when he penned his verses. This is another common misconception. Francis Scott Key was a Washington, D.C.-based lawyer. President James Madison had sent him on a mission to Baltimore to negotiate for the release of a man named Dr. William Baines. Baines was a prominent surgeon who had been captured in a previous battle. John Stuart Skinner was another lawyer who worked for the State Department and went with Francis Scott Key uh, into the Baltimore Harbor, and they boarded the British ship Tonnant. There they dined and secured the prisoner's release under one condition. They could not go ashore until after the British attacked Baltimore. So that is why Francis Scott Key was on the boat. He was not imprisoned. He was there negotiating the release of a man named Dr. William Baines. The flag that Key hailed at the twilight's last gleaming didn't actually fly through the perilous fight. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting fun fact, huh? So in addition to a thunderstorm of bombs, it had been raining, like serious rain, on Fort McHenry throughout the night of the Battle of Baltimore. The fort at the time had a 30 by 42 foot flag. It was so massive that when it was dry, it required 11 men to hoist it. 11 men. If it had been waterlogged to the point uh, to where it would have been if, if, if it had been flying during this rain and bombing, the, it was made out of wool and it would have weighed more than 500 pounds and snapped the flagpole. So there's no way it was flying through the night. What had happened was, as it began to rain, that flag was lowered. A smaller storm flag that measured just 17 by 25 feet was actually the one that flew through the night. In the morning, it's most likely that they then took down the smaller rain-soaked storm flag and hoisted the larger one again. So, in the morning, Key did see the large flag, but the large flag was not the one that had flown through the perilous fight. The song was not originally entitled The Star-Spangled Banner. When Key scrawled his lyrics on the back of a letter he pulled from his pocket on the morning of September 14th, he did not give them any title. Within a week, Key's verses were printed on broadsides and in Baltimore newspapers under the title Defense of Fort McHenry. In November of that year, two months later, a music store printed the patriotic song with sheet music for the first time under the more lyrical title The Star-Spangled Banner. So, we owe the fact that our national anthem is not called Defense of Fort McHenry to a Baltimore music store. I'm so grateful for that Baltimore music store. It didn't actually become the national anthem, though, until more than a century after it was written, and it has four verses. Four verses. Did you know that? Do you know what the verses are? Everyone knows the first verse. That's the one that we sing at football games and baseball games and the one that sings, sang all around. Here are the other three you may not know. I played uh, at the introduction of the show... For those of you listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, you won't hear it, but we played uh, the national anthem with the first and the last verse, which are my favorite and ones that people are most familiar with. But beyond the first verse, the national anthem actually has four verses. Here's the other three verses. It goes, On the shore dimly seen through the midst of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes, what is that which the breeze or the towering steep, as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses? Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected now shines in the stream. Tis a star-spangled banner, oh, long may it wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. 
And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country, should leave us no more? Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps' pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight and the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. I love that last verse especially, and I love pulling that last verse out whenever anyone starts talking about the Pledge of Allegiance and how under God wasn't added uh, until the 1940s uh, or 50s. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, you're right. But I love that, you know, our national anthem since 1814 has says that our motto is in God is our trust and that we should uh, praise the power that hath made us. So we're acknowledging creation and the creation of our nation, but also the creation of ourselves. We're saying that God is the one that started America. I mean, it's right there. You can't miss it. Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto in God is our trust. That is awesome. That's just a little a little fun flag information and trivia for you this flag day. Did you know that there's actually a US flag code? There's code for all kinds of things. I believe the US code has 50 different points. There are 50 titles in the US code ranging from Congress and the President to arbitration to the census and the Coast Guard and hospitals and and, and the IRS and labor and minerals. It's amazing. You should look it up sometime. It's very fascinating. But the flag code has been here there and everywhere and ultimately the code empowers the president to to alter the rules about the flag, to add additional rules about the flag, but there's no federal agency that actually has authority to official official rulings on civilians or civilian groups. Each state determines their own punishments and different things for flag rules. It used to be a, a national thing where you could get be imposed with a fine or face a year of jail for knowingly mutilating or defacing or physically defiling or trampling on the flag which was known as the Flag Protection Act of, in 1989. That act was struck down by the Supreme Court decision United States versus Eichmann in 1990. So for the last 26 years, there is n- there's no real, um, there's not a, a national or a federal law that forbids you from, from trampling on the flag, from mutilating it, from doing whatever you want. So basically, the U.S. Code is simply the guide for the handling and display of the Stars and Stripes. It doesn't include penalties for the misuse of the flag. Penalties are left to the states and to the District of Columbia, because they're not technically a state. Each state then has its own flag law. 
and essentially all that the federal flag code states is no disrespect should be shown to the flag of the United States of America. So then actions not specifically included in that statement, which are like none, may be deemed acceptable as long as proper respect is shown. It's very bizarre, our flag code, and confusing. Usually is when you come to separation of, of federal and state powers and a variety of issues. But about the flag, this one has always, has always confused me. But, I mean, there's some standard things. You know, with putting the flag up and down and not letting it touch the ground in the proper way to fold it and so on and so forth. But I love the red, white, and blue. Tradition holds, did you know, that the stars on the flag, presuming, okay, presuming, that Miss Betsy Ross made the flag, which there's arguments about that, but uh, we'll go with that she did and that General George Washington commissioned her to do that. Tradition, legend says, that Washington wanted a six-pointed star on the, on the 13 stars in the original flag, that each star would be have six points. And Betsy Ross was the one that said, well, look here, because she's the, she's the seamstress and she shows him that with one cut she can make a five-pointed star and that that would save time and money and, you know, the whole American thing about, like, capitalism and doing things as efficiently and effectively as we can. She's like, look, that's, that's it. I can make a five-pointed star much more effectively than a six-pointed star. And that, presumably, is how we ended up with the five-pointed star on the American flag. Again, we can go back and forth about whether or not Betsy Ross actually created the flag or not, but we're not, we're not going to. I think it's a, it's a fun American legend and uh, one that I am more inclined to believe than disbelieve. I could be because I grew up in Pennsylvania and I've been to the Betsy Ross house and all these fun things, but, you know, so maybe I'm just a little bit biased, but I may not be either. You can go and research it yourself. It's Flag Day. It's a great thing to look up. Look up the Betsy Ross story. Read about the legend. See what you think. I want to remind you as well, today, if you are in Nevada, if you are in Clark County, today is primary day for our state and local races. We are voting uh, to choose candidates for the Senate uh, to fill Senator Harry Reid's seat. He is retiring. So both uh, Republicans and Democrats are selecting their candidate. There are four different candidates on the ballot for the de- those of you voting in the Democratic primary. There are, I believe, uh, nine candidates on the ballot for those of you voting in the Republican primary. So make sure you do some research there before you go to the polls. The worst thing that happens to a person that wants to participate in the electoral process is to be standing in the polling booth looking at all the names and have no idea who any of these people are and who you should choose. All right, so be sure to do some some research. Check out your party's uh, website to find some more information on your uh, individual candidates. Then we're voting also for uh, to choose our candidates for representative in Congress. We also have our district court uh, justices are up for election. Those are nonpartisan offices, so even if you are not registered as a Republican or a Democrat, you still want to get out and vote because you are able to vote for our district court judges and also for our trustees in the Clark County uh, School District. In my school district, there are six different individuals uh, running for trustee. And in my district court, uh, I've got four different choices. So there again, you want to uh, do some research, get your research done this morning, get out and vote. The polls are open today from 7 a.m. So they've been open for the past 
you know, half hour, and they close tonight at 7 p.m. So you have all day to get out and vote. You can go to ClarkCountyNV.gov slash vote for more information or to find your uh, polling place or check your voting registration status. But don't forget to get out and vote today. All right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we are going to have pastor, teacher, biblical historian, one of my favorite people, George DeJong, is here to talk about Shavuot and Pentecost. Dun, dun, dun. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to play, let's see, what are we going to play? Do, do, do. We're going to play The Stand from Hillsong. This is the acoustic version. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't go away. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. My good friend, Pastor George DeJong. Is it DeJong or DeJong or DeFruit? De, de, de I don't, I don't, I still don't know how to say your name. Well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter, Kathy. Um, <laughs> Points uh, for no, you. Crystal, George is the young. Yeah, I got to get a little ringer in there for you. Hey, good morning. Good to be with you. Good morning. It's good to have you here. So are you coming or going? For those of you that don't know, uh, Pastor George is the head of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, and he's here, there, and everywhere around the world. Do you have a trip coming up in a couple days, or did you just get back from one? I know it's one or the other. No, um, I yes and yes. Yes, I just got back from a trip, and I leave on Sunday um, oh. to lead another group to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel uh, on one of our biblical study tours. And, um, you know, just, just a word about that, Crystal, um, that, that's, a, that's a characteristic of what we do. These are biblical study tours mm. that have a devotional aspect to it, but there's a number of tours that you can go on uh, to the land of the Bible or to Israel that would be fundamentally devotional tours, but, um, but not necessarily study tours. This is this, these, what we lead are biblical study tours, and, and I think that's probably— one of the reasons that our relationship has continued over the several years since you've been walking with me, because it's really designed for understanding text in context. It really is, and I'm going to brag on you for just a minute. You are an excellent, uh, not just a good pastor, but you're a very good teacher, and you, you. you bring things to life from the Bible. And I, I think it probably helps that you have such a great backdrop to do that. You know, you're like actually in mm-hmm. the Bible lands, but you just have a great way of expounding uh, the truth. And, and, you know, when you say study tour, you make it sound a little bit hard, and you should, because it is a little bit hard, but it's also extremely fun. So, and I don't want to yeah. give things away, because I know that no. uh, we don't give things away, but I'm just telling you, if you ever want to see the land of the Bible and get dirty and have a great time and learn a lot, then this is the trip yeah. you want to go on. Uh, and, and honestly, I think we went for two and a half weeks when I went with you. I learned more yeah. in those two weeks than I did, I think, in, in two years of, of, of Bible school. So, you know, it's just it's a phenomenal ministry that you guys have, and we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, and, and just to talk about that, because I know um, there's something else we'd like to talk about. But yes. when we talk about biblical study tours, and it sounds like it can be kind of hard, it, it's a good kind of hard. Right. I, I like to tell my people— when God got to name his people, he didn't call them the Shalomites, the peace people, <laughs> or the Ahabites, the love people. He could have named them. We, we had two. My daughter just had a son, and, and they got to name him. The name they, they, the name they chose for him was Reese. And, and, but when God got to choose a name for his people, he called us the Israelites. And Israelite means struggle with God. Mm. And we don't become 
We don't become what God visions us to become unless it involves some struggle. That's why losing weight is a struggle. That's why gaining a, another degree is a struggle. And that's why advancing that work is a struggle. And that's why even relationships, marriages, and friendships are, have a struggle. And, and um, the, the characteristic about, about our lives and becoming who God visions us to be, I, I know our, our culture and our world so much wants to make everyone comfortable. And, and when we have struggle, we even question the character of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when God named his people, he called us the Israelites, and we struggle with God. Now, I can go on and on about that one. Just let me land the plane and say there's a big difference between struggling with God or struggling against God. Mm. And he called us the Israelites. We struggle with him. And that's what these tours are. They're, they're, and that's what we do. And that, I think that's why uh, I, I tell people that any trip you go on to the lands of the Bible, to Israel, <laughs> you're going to have a great time. How could you not? Yeah. We'll have an amazing time. What what characterizes our tours, and I think the reason why God continues to put people on our tours, is because uh, through our context, um, lives are are, are changed, yeah. and we have story after story of people whose lives are changed because of not just what they learn, but how they learn it. But hey, enough about that. You you wanted me here for what reason? To well, well, well. Honestly, I could just let you keep talking about your tours all morning because I really enjoy hearing you say tours because you say it like. Tours. I can't even say it the way you say because you have that Canadian Minnesota accent thing going on. Yeah, tours. Anyway, um, so (laughs) yes, that wasn't actually why we had you here today, but it's always fun to to talk about everything with you, actually. But um, Mm -hmm. and this one, I'm going to pronounce it wrong probably because some biblical terms I find easy to pronounce, others I struggle with, especially when you know you get to like the genealogies. But it's uh, is it Shavuot? Is that how you say it? Shavuot? Well, there you go. See? Now, kind of close. You're, you're going to say it like an American, and I'll say it like a Canadian, and neither of us are Jewish. <laughs> so we'll let our Jewish friends correct both of us. But All right. The way I understand it is Shavuot. It's not Shavuot. 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 Okay. Pentecost. Yeah. Um, uh, Pentecost, or um, that, that, what we call Pentecost. Shavuot was um, was uh, this past Saturday, I believe, June 11th. Yes. And... Uh, um, and you and you would like me to? Do you want me just to ramble on for I, a few moments? Yeah, I, that would <laughs> that would be great. Yes, that was my question, but you know we didn't get okay. through the pronunciation. Tell us what is. I think people, you know, when we think Pentecost, we think New Testament, yeah. we think flames of fire, yeah. tongues of fire. We don't really know what um, Shavuot is, and Shavuot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that no worries, name is. We don't know what you, it is. You got it. Well, so tell um, us what it is. Well, and, and that's and again talk about what we do and why we do it. My life was changed um, dramatically the first time I went to the lands of the Bible with a teacher I had, who who taught in context and understood mm-hmm. that the Bible comes in a context that, and um, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Um, let me just say that one more time: the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So it was written to a people thousands of years ago who spoke a different language, who lived in a different world than we do. Now, uh, what that means is that you and I, we have to go and get it. Um, And that's part of what's coming on a a study tour, or that's what going to college or Bible college or getting your Master's of Divinity or whatever. All these are efforts to go and and receive the Bible on its own terms. So what you and I know as Pentecost, um, which is the Greek word, that's the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word Pentecoste means 50th. And that's the Greek word that's used to translate the Hebrew word Shavuot. And, um, and the word Shavuot means weeks. 
and and um, Shavuot is is celebrated in in Israel even to to this day. There's a special meal. Uh, it's kind of like a Sabbath where uh, minimal or no work is done. Um, but there's an interesting tradition. Not all not all Jewish people do it, but there's an inter- interesting tradition of what a number of them do on Shavuot. They spend the night reading the Bible. Mm. And of the portions of the Bible they read, or the Torah, is a certain, most certainly the book of Ruth. Um, and we can, we can talk about that an, another time, why Ruth. Uh, but they read the Bible, and that's what I like to pick up on. Why, why of all these feasts, this particular feast, Shavuot, would they read their Bible? Hmm. Well, the reason for that is, is that, is that Jewish tradition has it that God gave his Torah, in Hebrew we call it Matan Torah, he gives his Torah, the giving of the Torah, to his people on Shavuot. And, and you know, the story in, in, in the uh, Exodus 20, 21, 22, 22, 24. Um, Moses climbs Mount Sinai, and the people are at the base, and Moses enters into the cloud, and and, and uh, the people are at the base, and Moses is up in the cloud receiving the Torah, receiving God's Word, and as it's being written on the stone, and 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 now I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it, it, it continues on, and, and, and Moses is up there for 40 days, and and uh, Moses doesn't realize it. He, he's up there. He's having a great time, and he's, he's with God. And all of a sudden, God says to Moses, I just have to stop. And Moses says, why? I grew up, this is so, he says, I can't handle the noise. Mm-hmm. And, and Moses says, what noise? I don't hear it. Oh, just start going down the hill. You'll see it. You'll hear it. And Moses begins going down Sinai, and, and, and he encounters Joshua. And Joshua's shaking his tears in his eyes and shaking his own, oh, Moses, you wouldn't believe. And Moses goes down further, and he, he, there he hears it. And he takes the Ten Commandments, he takes the two tablets of the Word of God, and he smashes them on the ground because he sees the people dancing around the golden calf. The people, you see, thought that Moses would never return. And, and they made a God to worship them. And, and, then, and, then, and then there was a, there, justice had to be rendered, and, and, and this offense had to be paid for. And, and, and Moses, I see Moses angry, yes, but with great tears in his eyes, saying, who will stand with me? And then the tribe of Levi the Levites said, we'll stand with you. And, and, and Moses said, who'll gird, gird on their swords? And so the Levites girded on their swords. And, and, then, and then Moses took the calf and ground it up in dust and made people drink it. And somehow it gave, according to the text, evidence in their bodies that, that, that there was impurity in their lives, that there was something that, something that they were the ones who would worship the calf inappropriately and, 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 and even worshiping the calf. And, and so the Levites began to go through the camp and... and um, and I think that they had great tears in their eyes because the Levites are, are executing God's just, justice and judgment mm-hmm. on those who were so offended. And these are the ones who endured the, seven, the ten plagues with them. These are the ones who crossed the Red Sea with them. These are the ones who they shared manna with. Um, these are the same people that—and that, and so what, what do they do? And they go through, and, and that day was, um, was, uh, was killing of, of 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And, and there at Sinai, this magnificent picture of, of Mount Sinai and Moses at the top, and there was and there was fire and lightning and there was thunder and 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 um, all all going on. But the whole Shavuot is the giving of Torah and, and the giving of God's word, and 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 the story has such a sad twist to it because the story kind of culminates with the killing of the three thousand. Moses goes back up the mountain and receives receives God's word again and, and, and comes down and, 
and people build the tabernacle. And so that's the story of Pentecost, or of, of pardon me, of Shavuot. It's the it's the receiving of of God's of God's word, the receiving of the Torah. Now, if I can, um, in, when when the New Testament when the New Testament was written, and, and and we learn about the story of Pentecost in the book of Acts, and Acts is written by Luke. And Luke has a gospel after his name as well. So he's the author of both of those books, Luke Acts. When Luke talks about Shavuot, he, he talks about Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And the story unfolds in chapter 2, where uh, the disciples and the followers of Jesus are in the temple, and they're praying. And, and suddenly, the temple is filled. There's a sound of a rushing wind. Now, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word for wind is ruach. And the word for wind is also, ruach, is also the word for spirit. So you could say that the temple was filled with the spirit of God. And then, and then, and then there was fire. And, and we have two elements that you have back at, at Sinai. You have wind, and you have the spirit of God, and you have, you have fire, which is a sign of the presence of fire, uh, the presence of God, pardon me. And so God's presence, and then that fire breaks off into little tongues of fire, which is really interesting because as those tongues of fire go on God's people, they begin to speak different languages. Now, in Exodus, the thunder that's mentioned there in Hebrew is called kolot, and kolot is a Hebrew word for thunder, yes, but also voices, languages. And there is a tradition that God offered the Torah to all the people of the world. They all could understand it, but they all refused it. And there was mm-hmm. only one people that accepted it, and they were the Jewish people. They were the Hebrews at the base of Sinai. We will, we will do all that you will say, is what they say to God. And so here you have, in, in, in this story, um, uh, the Spirit of God, and you have the fire of God, the presence of God. You have tongues. And then what's really interesting to me, Crystal, and, and in preparing for our little time together, I was rereading that Acts account of the story, and it said when the, the Luke says it this way, when the day of Pentecost came, and and that's a, that's an NIV translation, which is kind of um, it's not wrong, it's just kind of empty because mm-hmm. really one translation has it when the day of Pentecost fully came, mm-hmm. and, and that gets more closer. Um, the the Greek word that translators are struggling with there, and some just skip over it um, is sumpleu. Oh my, soon play oh my, and soon play oh my is a word only used by Luke in his gospel. He's used it in Acts, but he also uses it in chapter 8. Soon play mo, oh, oh my is the word that's used to describe the boat in which Jesus was sleeping that was being swamped. It's translated as swamp. In other words, the day of Pentecost, according to Luke, was it was so swamped that what the day was so full it was so it was so it was so full and so I, I, and 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 then you have you have the breathing of the spirit the spirit of God is poured out on people and who are they poured out on well the word of God had already come in Jesus Christ the word had become made flesh so there was almost as if there was a body of people already there there was a body there but it hadn't been enlivened yet and now I go back to Genesis. Where, where God formed the body out of the dust of the earth. Now he formed the body through his son, Jesus Christ. And God had been having an inhale 
over the millennia. And he could hardly wait to the day of Pentecost when he could finally exhale and he could breathe into the body of Christ and the presence of God, and they became alive. And you need to know, you need to know, according to Luke, that this happened on Pentecost, that this happened on Shavuot. And as an exclamation mark, how many people came to life that day? How many people came to a living knowledge of Jesus Christ? 3,000. 3,000. And so there's a connection between the two. And that's how God, at just the right time, I, I tell my people, you know, sometimes my, I just had to do a funeral uh, last week. Um, and, and uh, of course, with funerals, um, some you can, some you can just, you just know. You, I mean, you can look at the fruit of the tree and others you, you don't know. There's not much fruit on the tree. In fact, you wonder if the tree is alive at all. And then you'll have the dear parents or family members come with you and George, do you think he's in heaven? And I say, I, I don't know. That's up to God. But I'll tell you this. There's nobody who wants us in heaven more than God does. Mm. And I see God pouring out his spirit on the body of Christ so that we, that we would be his living word. I, I don't know if I taught this when you were on the trip with me, Crystal, but this has become really strong in my heart, is that God doesn't want people to bring a message anymore. Don't bring a message. Don't bring a message. What he's looking for is people who are the message. Mm. And I'm telling you, I've spent, I spent 30 years of crafting messages of sermons, and, 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 and I'm telling my people almost every Sunday, listen, we're, we're not here to see how well George does with the text. Mm. We're, we're not here in order to learn uh, so that just, just so that we can learn. We're here to learn in order that we might live so that the Word might become flesh, and that we are the body of Christ, and that and that God has breathed into us the breath of life so that when people encounter us, broken and flawed as we are, um, they are encountering Jesus. And so for Shavuot, um, at Pentecost, the same Greek way of saying a Hebrew term, um, and on both of these events, it's the giving of God's Word, yes, but for us it's the giving of God's Word in Jesus Christ. And Jesus had to go so that His Spirit could be poured upon us and I see the body of Jesus Christ being enlivened like God had enlivened that very first man in the garden. And now we go and we live as God's image bears. Well, there you go. That's, that's enough. I've yammered on. <laughs> <All of> that. <laughs> no, so, that, was, that yeah. was fantastic. I love how you are able to take Scripture and see things in the Old Testament and see things in the New Testament and put them together. I think that's a, a lost art. Was that the stringing of pearls? It's a lost art. In, in Christianity today to, to recognize the truth of the Old Testament and how it is, is alive and how God uses it again and just repeats himself in the New Testament. It's just incredible Amen. to me. I've Amen. literally never heard it explained that way or made that parallel or the connection between the 3,000 at Sinai and the 3,000 at Pentecost. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, you can go on a trip with this man and you can listen to this and learn this for for hours of every day and it really just it transforms the way I think that you read the Bible and that you think about the Bible and all of a sudden you know you start that was the one thing after I went on a trip with you when I would read the New Testament all of a sudden I would see things and be like wait a second I remember this somewhere before and and then go back and to see it in the Old Testament and then to see the parallels it's it's incredible 
And I don't think that's yeah. something that we as, as modern Christians do very often, but I appreciate how you always do that. Well, you bless me. And, and, and really, and for me, I'm, 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 I'm really quite a simple person. And, and, and yes, that I is true. I can it, attest to that. You didn't have to answer quite so quickly. You could have hold me the phone there. But but it's it's all pictures. It's all pictures. And so when you and I walked in Egypt and we we looked at the pyramids and we said, why a pyramid? Why are they so big? Hieroglyphs, the way they would communicate. These are all pictures. And and, uh, there are are scholars who can trace the the relationship between hieroglyphs and and ancient Hebrew script. Mm. And, And each Hebrew letter is a picture. So... The question then, I say in my, on my trips, if the only thing, hopefully you get more, but it's the only thing that you walk away from this trip with regarding the Bible is asking the text questions. Why is that there, and why do I need to know that? Like for our Pentecost thing with Sun playing online, um, I, I just looked at that this morning. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Look mm. at this. And it just, it, it just speaks to a God who is so passionately alive with us. Mm-hmm. I tell my people, I tell my people, listen, um, when God was confronted confronted with an eternity without you, and he's confronted with that reality, when Adam and Eve walked out of that garden, and God was confronted with the eternity without you, I see God saying, what do I have to give to get my image bearers back? What do I have to give? Galaxies? Uh, universes? How many angels? How many hosts of angels? And, and, and I, I just see Jesus coming forward. He said, Father, none of it would be enough but I will go. And I tell my people, in the economy of God, every one of you and all of you are worth Jesus to God. And if he had to do it again, he doesn't. But if he did, he would. Mm-hmm. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants. He doesn't want anyone to, he didn't send Jesus to condemn. And so to me, it, it's just, it's, it's pictures, pictures. And that's, I, you know, I stand with the psalmist who said, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I know that full well. And I have the honor of, of leading these study trips and, and, and understanding the text and its historical, geographical, as well as its literary context. So, so there you go, Crystal. Thank you so much again for, for having me on and, uh, and, and for uh, lifting up our little ministry and, um, it, it, it's been an honor. You know what? I should come out there sometime, and maybe rather than doing it over the phone, we should we should just be face to face and do this sometime. I'd love to do that. That would be fantastic. You are welcome in Las Vegas anytime. We would love to have you. And then if I actually get you in studio, we're just going to record for like three hours straight, and then I'll chop it up in little pieces. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Fair enough. So if people want to learn more or they're interested in going on a, on a trip with you, where can they do that? They can go to, um, of course, www.underthefigtree.org is our website. And, um, uh, you know, you know what? I- I'll tell you what. Can I, can I just take a few more minutes? Sure. Um, and can I make a plug for one of our very special trips? Go for it. Um, I think it's the Heart of God uh, Tour, and I love this one, so I'm hoping that's where you're okay, headed. Okay, it is the Heart of God Tour. Okay. Um, and and um, we, we host a tour called the Heart of God Tour. For and, and and it expresses the heart of under the featuring ministry, and um, uh, because um, because I'm kind of an underdog. I mean, I for mm-hmm. me, academia was swimming uphill against the current. 
and and because I learn differently. I'm a picture person, and 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 our culture really emphasizes the abstract kind of learning. But sure. be that as it may, so I always had this heart for for those who just you know just to. So what we've done is this will be this October we leave or end of September we leave for our heart of God trip, and our heart of God trip is for those. Uh, people with cognitive issues like Downs, Asperger's, autism, um, uh, moderate high functioning, and mm-hmm. to come with us, and we'll we'll we go to um, Israel and uh, Jordan and Egypt, and we have a tour specifically designed for them. It's my favorite tour. Earlier in our conversation, we talked about how people come to the Middle East, and and on these tours, their lives are changed. Um, on all the tours I've led for well over almost 20 years, being a part of tours, um, there's never been a tour that has so changed the Middle East as the Heart of God tours. Mm. Um, when my Muslim friends uh, and my Jewish friends see these dear ones who so love Jesus come up and just it's, just, it's just powerful, it's moving. And so we have a tour going. So for your listeners, um, there's still some space available on that tour, and um, and also uh, through the gifts of, of friends of the ministry um, who are so committed to this tour, um, there are also some scholarship monies available. So uh, moderate to high functioning, and there's all kinds of parameters. There's information or at least a way to find out more about the tour if people are interested. Um, and we still have some room. And with tours, you usually need to get them filled about three months before you leave. And so we're coming to that point, and we have a couple of slots left open. So I, I would rather have them filled than empty. So um, yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what God gives. But so here's a, here's, thetree.org. here's yep. two tour-specific questions for you. One, obviously you guys are in um, uh, Michigan. And yeah. So anyone from anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world can go on these tours. It doesn't matter where you're uh, embarking from, from your, from your city or right. your airport. Right. We we would want to have a conversation with everyone, so it's it's open. But we just want to make sure that that you know um, that the that this is that this is God's will. This is God's provision. This is God's blessing on your life. So sure. we just want to make sure that um, that the right people are on the tour in the sense that you know there's some realities. You got to fly on a plane for at least nine hours. Then we we transfer in Istanbul, and you'll get another three hour flight to uh, Cairo or or to Tel Aviv. Um, and and your you know our people you know this is one of the most prayed over tours and we've we've had nothing but blown successes on these tours um but yes uh they're they're please i mean don't this is what i find in ministry and this is what i find about the goodness of god people say no way before god does Mm. i just don't get that um i think that's there's so much i have in heaven for you and you just never asked you just said no before i did right but god will say no so um for your listeners don't say no before God. Us. Give us give us an email, and we'll have a conversation with you. And this is this is obviously under the fig trees is is, is a uh, a ministry set to glorify Jesus Christ. Understanding text and context, and it, we call it Heart of God because there's nothing I like doing more than making God smile. And I'm telling you, if you want to bless me as a parent, bless my kids. You want to bless yeah. God as a parent, bless his kids. Yeah. And um and then and so it, it's really to make God smile. But I have learned, I have seen, Crystal, I have seen um, that the body of Christ, there are ways and places that these special ones uh, can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that I can't. Yeah. 
and 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 I just believe in the power of God's word, filled by His Spirit through the obedient lives of His peer, people, and I'm telling it world stage. So yeah. underthefigtree.org. Thanks for the plug. Appreciate yeah. Well, one more question because this is the one that I think everyone asks, whether it's in relation to your tour or any other tour. Is it safe to travel to the Middle East right now? Well, you know, I, I, I thank you for that question, and um, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yes, it's safe to go over there. Otherwise, we wouldn't go. I sure. tell my people that, you know, we're not down to force. We're not peacekeeping. We're not <laughs> the U.N. Um, it, it is. Um, we have uh, we have for years uh, a police presence on the bus. That's been that was before Arab Spring um, in in, uh, in Jordan and in uh, uh, in Egypt. Uh, we have police escort. Um, our route has been all approved so that the, the Egyptian government can guarantee our safety as best as they possibly can. Now, the, do crimes common to man happen? Yes. Um, but we've, we've had no incidents on our trip, um, and that's including, you know, going to the Sinai. Now, when I say Sinai, um, if, there's a, if, there's a, if there's a tornado in Houston, Texas, uh, you, you know, <laughs> you're not going to say it's not safe to go to Texas. Right, um, sure. Sinai is a big place, and yeah. so when we when we hear Sinai over here, we tend to think categorically the whole thing. No, we only go where it's safe. So it, yes, of course it, it's safe. Otherwise, we wouldn't go. And we have changed the itinerary. I've, I've been done this for so many years um, that with the relationships we have, um, uh, we, we can change our itinerary. And really, there's no way you can lose because I I started doing two weeks in just Israel. Then I did two weeks Israel, Jordan. Now I do two weeks Egypt, Jordan, Israel. So, I mean, we have lots of places we can go to, and you'll never lose. I mean, you'll never yeah. lose. Yeah, no. On the other hand, on the other hand, it's it's not safe. I mean, sure. it's not. I mean, um, it's the Middle East um, on that hand. But as events of this past weekend reveal, it's not safe here either. Sure. Um, and and with uh, here in our neck of the woods, um, Memorial Day weekend over in Chicago, which is just a little drive for us here. And so many of my people go there for the weekend to shop or go to a theater or, or something. I mean, I, I heard numbers like 69, 70 people were stopped or murdered in Chicago. So mm-hmm. you know what? The safest place to be is the center of God's will. And I really think, don't say no before God does. Bring it to God in prayer. Is this his will for you? And, and one of the first things I tell people on the bus when they when we land in the lands um, is, listen, you didn't pay for this trip. You did not pay for this trip. I don't work for you. <laughs> and what, what you have done is you have stewarded your money in such a way that God can bless you with this trip. Mm. And I work, I work for him. So I really think whether, whether it's a weekend in Chicago or it's going to Orlando or it's going with me to Cairo, I think you need to make a night of prayer and mm-hmm. and then ask God to give you the shalom of knowing what it is, where he wants you, when he wants you, and when he wants you there. And then when you're in God's will, regardless of the context, you are in absolutely the safest place you possibly can be. So I hope that helps. And I I don't want to sound like a salesman. I, I, I get a little frustrated when the Middle East gets such magnified media attention. Yeah. When when what happens over there happens in some of our larger cities all the time, it's just that we don't see it, and it's not given for us the same way. Sure. We would not go if it's not safe. Yeah. All right. Well, there, there. I think you have well uh, summarized 
that as uh, you have well summarized everything that we've discussed today. So it's underthefigtree.org if you'd like more information. And even if you can't go on a trip, uh, Pastor George has a bunch of different study materials and videos and different things that you can download and uh, and use to get to know his ministry as well. So thank you, George. I really appreciate you being here today. And uh, God bless and safe travels for your next uh, your next adventure. Thanks, Crystal. And to you, too. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Happy Flag Day, everyone. One last little tidbit on Flag Day for you. Be sure to fly that flag today. The colors of the United States flag. Did you know when the flag was adopted, there was no meaning attached to the colors? But the meanings of the colors were also used in designing the seal of the United States of America in 1782. And in the words of Charles Thompson, then Secretary of the Continental Congress, the colors of the pales, which are the vertical stripes, are those in the flag of the United States of America. White signifies purity and innocence, red hardiness and valor, and blue, the color of the chief, signifies vigilance, perseverance, and justice. So there you have it. We're going to go out today to God bless the USA from Lee Greenwood. God bless you too. We'll be back here tomorrow. Yes, it's Tuesday. So we will be back here tomorrow at 7 a.m., 6 p.m. Pacific time. See you then. Have a great day, everyone.